in this next snapshot of the early church, uh, I think we're going to see the, its first challenge for administration and a God-honoring response to the need of the hour. So let's look at verses 1 through 7 of chapter 6 of Acts. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenistic uh, Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers and sisters, pick out among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Paramenus, and Nicholas, a proselyte of of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. That's the first challenge of administration that comes to the Church of Christ. Many things to be thought about in this passage, but here's, here's kind of the overlying theme or the idea that I want us to be aware of as we begin to look into this particular incident in the life of the, of the early church. And it's simply this, that the true Christian church, the true Christian church is not an institution run by godly principles, but by godly men applying godly principles. The true Christian church is not an institution run by godly principles, but by godly men applying godly principles. I hope you caught the subtle yet profound difference of what I'm implying here. You cannot and you dare not separate these two, for you truly can't have one without the other and call it a Christian church. Godly principles done by godly men. So what we see here, I think, is a formula for biblical administration that can and should apply to every program we seek to develop here at Third Reform. You know, in a program-obsessed culture, you and I have to be sure we are responding to a biblical need and not just a perceived need. And just as a side note, if you'll give me the freedom to do that, well, how would you not? (laughs) I'm up here. I can do what I want, right? Um, No. As a side note, here's another soapbox I want to stand on for a moment. I'm really concerned in many ways about the Christian church today, particularly here in America. Uh, The church has become so much like the institutions of the world in the sense that we seem to want to market ourselves as being here to meet your needs. Come to our church 
and we're going to meet your needs. Now, don't get me wrong. We should care about the needs of people. But the church is not, it is not primarily a vending machine to fix your needs. The church is primarily, primarily about Jesus Christ and his word, which is what everyone ultimately needs. The church is not here to fix you. The church is here to show you Jesus and the power of his word. Enough with the commercial. I'll get off the soapbox. But that's what I want you to hear before we move ahead. So let's look now at at how this newly established organization, the church, would get more organized for the glory of Christ. And I would suggest to you, I think it starts... It starts with a clear and an evident need among them. And the need, as you see, arose for two primary reasons. And the first reason was pretty clear. It was rapid growth. (laughs) Did you catch that? This church was growing rapidly. The opening verse sets the scene when Luke says, Now in these days... When the disciples were increasing in number, followers of Jesus were happening. Conversion was happening pretty powerfully, pretty consistently. Now, rapid growth can be exciting, but it can cause problems, can't it? What if God blessed this church next week with twice the number of people that are in this room? A lot of you would say, that's great. What What do you do two weeks later when... We can't handle this. What's going on? How do we address this? People from, think about it, people from different cultures, different languages, were now coming together by God's spirit and his grace to be one in the life and love of Christ and his church. But they were so different. A second specific need that we see happening here is not only the the growth that was going on. But we also saw that some of the widows were not getting their physical needs met. And these widows were feeling marginalized or even less favored than others. And we see that clearly laid out in the first verse as well, don't we? The Hellenists. One commentator puts it this way about the problem. He says this, quote, The first contention in the Christian church was about a money matter. (laughs) A great deal of money was gathered for the relief of the poor, but as often happens in such cases, it seemed impossible to please everybody. These struggling widows were Hellenistic Jews, which meant they were Greek-speaking and they lived outside of Jerusalem but they would often return for the festivals. And many of them were converted, perhaps at Pentecost. You remember what happened there. So many of these Hellenistic Jews were now alive in Jesus and wanting to be a part of this new thing called the Church of Christ. The Jews who were from Jerusalem, think about it. The problem was these Jews who lived in Jerusalem, the true Jews, felt more compelled to care for their own at the neglect of others at times. You know, up to this point, it appeared that the apostles 
were the ones distributing the money as well as seeking to proclaim God's word and his ministry. So it, it, we can assume that the, the 12 apostles were the ones trying to oversee all of this stuff organizationally. That might work for a little while in a cute little house church, but we're talking about several thousand people. What do you think that the apostles were going thinking? Hey, we're dying here. <laughs> this, is, this is overwhelming. So we see that that need was what was beginning to establish the first blessed administration of the church of Christ. But next we see not only the need, we see the foundation, the foundation for a godly administration being established by the apostles. And what happens in this next phase is really, if you think about it, it's a repeat of some common biblical sense that we saw in the Old Testament with Moses and his father-in-law Jethro. If you remember that story, Moses was leading the people of God and people were coming to him with problems. <laughs> more problems, more problems, and he was getting overwhelmed. Moses had been trying to handle all these disputes people were having, and it was getting out of hand, overwhelming. And the, uh, the advice he received and he implemented was simply this, Moses, you need to delegate. <laughs> you need to get other people to not only assist you, but to deal with this stuff. Share the responsibilities or it will crush you. The foundation is established not by the implementation of the principle, but by the calling out of men of godly character to handle these new responsibilities. Why? Because the true Christian church is not an institution run by godly principles, but by godly men applying godly principles. So these 12 apostles summoned, look at what they did. They summoned all the disciples. That means the whole church, brothers and sisters. The church was being called on to own the problem together by these godly apostles. These were men they respected because of their character as well as their competency. And these men said, church, we need your help. They explained why in verse 2. We see that. The 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, here's why. It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Think about it. The logical priority of the church, this institution of the church, the logical priority, the priority of the church of Christ is to proclaim the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. These men who were called to do that were being more and more distracted from that calling, even by good things. Yet they were. And that's why I love godly administration, when you have people who can do what you can't do and free that up to be able to do more effectively work. Think about it. They didn't call a special prayer meeting, did they, or, or cast lots, by simply, but they simply told people, you choose seven men from among you. And the only stipulation they put on the choosing, it's found in verse 3. Do you see that? 
What is they? Here's the job description. Here's what we want. You pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit of God and of wisdom, and we'll appoint them. Please don't miss this. The underlying principle for biblical godly administration is to have men of godly character. You can be an outstandingly competent institution with men who don't really know God the way they should. They are saying, first and foremost, a godly administrated institution of the church is led by godly men. You don't just want guys who can get the job done, but you want men who in the name of of, and in the spirit of Christ give themselves. Their gifts must be matched by their maturity. And these men were called out to specifically address the physical needs of the body by serving the people of God. The Greek word here is diakonia, which where we get the title what? (laughs) Deacon. A deacon is someone who is called by God to serve the physical direct needs of the body of Christ. Godly men who have a good reputation in and outside of the church and who seem to know how to care practically for the church of Christ. Again, I think there's two interesting side notes to mention here. If you study closely the names of these men that were given, and by the way, isn't it interesting that their names are in the Bible? Wouldn't that be cool to say? And when God called, I just, I'm just kind of intrigued by that. What would be, how many names are actually listed in the Bible? So these, these new deacons, these first deacons, have their names in the word of God. These men all seem, those names all seem to have a Greek association. Isn't it interesting? It seems a little ironic that the widows are being thus treated, who are being treated uh, wrongly, are now being represented potentially by people from a Greek background. And the other side note is that these men were chosen by the church, not the apostles or the elders. They didn't go into an administrative overload and form committees and research and then come back a few months later and report, did they? They went to the church. Remember as a young Christian reading at a conference, somebody wrote on board, for God so loved the world, he did not send a committee. (laughs) And it really, what you're seeing here is that the appeal was The apostles said, look, we trust you. You see the men among us. Pick men who love God. Pick men who have a reputation to caring for people. And you bring them up here. And we will put our hands and and appoint them with whatever authority we have to be men who are leading us and caring for us. The apostles wanted godly men chosen by the church for this important task. Yet don't forget the central reason, the central reason for the need to address the administrative problem. Again, in verses 2 and 4, we will devote ourselves to prayer and ministry of the word. Why did they need to have 
clear and effective administration because the apostles will be pulled away from their primary calling, which is to proclaim the word of God. The proclamation and ministry of the word of God was being hindered by this valid need of the widows. And here's the last point, not just understanding the need and the foundation of that, but true godly administration will have a godly effect. Godly administration will have a godly effect. What would be the result of these first deacons who responded to the call of God, who were set apart by these elders? Look again at verse 7. Look at what happens when this administration started to happen. The word of God, the word of God continued to increase. The number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of priests became obedient to the faith. First and foremost, what happened when the church really got organized? The word of God continued to increase. Without the centrality of God's word and the message of Jesus, this institution could be nothing less than a noble humanitarian effort to meet the needs of people. That is not the church of Jesus Christ. We must have a message as well as an effective method that permeates all we do in the name of Christ. Without the Bible and the saving message of Jesus Christ, the world will never have their needs met. It's that critical to all that we do. What is the identifying theme of this church, Third Reformed Church? It cannot be, hey, we care about people's needs. We take care of all that. Yes, that's true. But the primary call is the word of God and the message that Jesus Christ has come to save you, to love you. We show that. But why? So that we can bring that word more powerfully to bear. I think another clear effect that happens is also in the same verse. More and more people were becoming followers and disciples of Jesus. Lives were being changed by the word of God. And on top of that, did you see that last phrase? A great many of the priests... Think about this. A great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. That means they believed in Jesus. Think again what was just happening in that culture, in that place of Jerusalem. It's not far-fetched to assume this. Perhaps some of these priests were the very same ones who were condemning Jesus and persecuting the church early on. How did they go? How did they go from hating him to loving him, to bowing down? My friends, it's because the power of the word of God was being proclaimed. And how did this all happen? By godly administration. I don't think I'm trying to add to the word of God here, but I want to suggest a biblical connection that's implied here. What if we put this phrase between verses 6 and 7? You saw in verse 6, 
they set before the apostles these men and they prayed and laid their hands on him. What if we put this phrase in there before we get to verse 7, that great conclusion? Quote, and because of the administrative efforts of these seven godly men, these deacons, the word of God continued to increase. You see the connection. These men of God powerfully took on a responsibility to care so that the elders were freer to minister the word of God, to bring Jesus more clearly to bear with what their calling was. Friends, we need to understand there is a powerful connection between the diaconal work of the church and the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are serving Christ by ministering to the needs of God's people and therefore freeing the elders to more directly teach and minister the word of God, to strengthen the flock. These men are literally fleshing out the love of Jesus and therefore, thereby, I think, giving further credibility to the word that's being preached. So in conclusion, how do we walk away from this? What, what's the application? What does this have to do with me or with you? I would suggest to you, I think one of the first things we have to do is to repent. <laughs> oh, thanks a lot, minister. You know, I thought you were going to finish with a nice smile and a good story. I'm calling you and me to repentance. Repent. Repent from what? Repent from that subtle attitude that looks to the church as a place that should be primarily about me and meeting my needs. How often do we come here and saying, what's in it for me? <laughs> what is this church doing for me? Friends, the church is the place where we are to know and worship God, to manifest his love and how we love one another. In other words, to make Jesus real. To paraphrase one of our presidents, John Kennedy in the 60s, you remember this, that, that rallying call he made, many of you have probably heard this, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. And everybody said, yeah, whatever that means, let's do it. <laughs> Wouldn't that fit well here? Ask not what this church can do for you. Ask what you can do for this church. What are you doing for the church of Jesus Christ? Not what's it doing for you. That's what I want all of us to be getting to, to more repent of. How we look to this place for our selfish needs rather than a place to meet the needs of others. Now, let me clarify, I'm not suggesting we not expect the church to be a place where we are loved, we're cared for. But these are often fringe benefits of those who truly seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I think another very practical thing you and I can do is to thank God for our deacons and our elders. Now, again, I think sometimes we can take them for granted. Oh, that's their job. These are men who are struggling just like you and I. And these are men who have been called out by God to somehow not only represent, but to lead and care for us. When was the last time you prayed for your deacons? I'm not going to embarrass them by making them stand. Maybe I should, but anyway, 
You know who they are. Pray for them. Pray for these men who are carrying some pretty heavy burdens and concerns, not just about how to fix this church, but how to grow it for Jesus' sake. That time yesterday was a great sense of unity among us as believers about how can we own what God's calling us to do together. But there is something unique about the calling of an elder and a deacon that we need to bear that burden with these men. These men are a critical link, my friends, critical link to the effectiveness of the gospel of Jesus Christ going forth from Third Reformed Presbyterian Church. We must be praying not only for their administrative effectiveness in caring for the needs of the body of Christ, but we better be praying for their own godliness and character. Their job can be a thankless job and heavy at times. And they can also be tempted to frustration and complaining that would take their eyes off Jesus, just like you and I are tempted to. Oh, pray for these men. Don't take them for granted. Pray for them. Why? Why would we pray earnestly for them? Because the true Christian church is not an institution run by godly principles, but by godly men applying godly principles. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful that you have loved your church from the beginning and that you have equipped your church to be effective in not only running as an institution, but even more powerfully reflecting the love of Jesus. Lord, again, we thank you for the men who have come forth to serve as deacons and as elders. We particularly lift up our deacons to you now, God, as we see that reflected in this passage, that these were the men, the first deacons, that sought to care for the needs of God's people so that the elders could even more effectively bring the word of God to bear. Oh, Lord, let Third Reformed Church be a place where the reputation is that godly men, godly men humbly walking with Jesus are seeking to humbly lead this church. Oh, but let us be a people who don't take that for granted, but pray for those that you have brought out to lead us. We thank you again for your church. We ask even now that you would have mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.